0: Hello, and welcome to the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide's take on some recent amendments to the Resentencing and Recall Subdivision, Penal Code Section 1170. Prosecutors and defense attorneys are likely familiar with Subdivision D of Section 1170 because they've seen it used by trial courts to bring back defendants for resentencing, After uh, a defendant was sent to the Department of Corrections for something like a diagnostic evaluation, although if a defendant was sentenced pursuant to a plea bargain, this mechanism was not available unless the diagnostic evaluation was part of the plea bargain itself. On the other hand, attorneys practicing in criminal courts are much less familiar with another aspect of 1170D. That's section 1170D1 which allows a court to recall and resentence any defendant in state prison at any time based on the recommendation of the secretary of the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation or the Board of Parole hearings or the county correctional administrator in a case of a county jail inmate who was serving time under Section 1170H of the Penal Code. Now this unfamiliarity is no doubt due to the fact that this aspect of 1170D has been rarely used. That's been changing. CDCR is now using this aspect of 1170D more frequently, apparently as part of an overall thrust to reduce prison populations. There's been a pair of recently enacted bills, AB 1812 and AB 2942, which have expanded when these recall and resentencing provisions can be used and who can recommend a recall and resentencing. This expansion has already had a significant impact on the number of recommendations being issued and will potentially have a dramatic impact on plea bargaining as well. This IPG podcast will be discussing the nature of the changes made by these new bills and some of the issues raised by their enactment. This podcast will provide 45 minutes of general
1: MCLE credit. Hi, this is Alex Ellis, one of the prosecutors who will likely be dealing with the increase in resentencing requests. I have some questions I'd like to explore concerning Penal Code Section 1170D1, the paragraph of Subdivision D that has been altered by the new laws.
0: Well then, Alex, uh, let's let's uh, get started. What aspect of Section 1170D1 is first on uh, your agenda?
1: Well, let's start with explaining how Section 1170D1 worked before the new laws.
0: Okay. Uh, up until the end of June of this year, a court, on its own motion, within 120 days, could recall a defendant who the court had sentenced to either state prison or who the court had sentenced to county jail under Section 1170H. That is uh, a state prison sentence that's physically served in county jail. And then after uh, sentencing the the person, they could resentence the defendant in the same manner as if he or she had not previously been sentenced, so long as the new sentence uh, was not any greater than the initial sentence.
1: So under the old version of Section 1170D, was that the only circumstance in which a sentence could be recalled?
0: No. Under the old version of Section 1170P, a court could, at any time, recall the sentence and resentence the defendant if they received a recommendation of the Secretary uh, of the Department of Corrections or the Board of Parole Hearings in the case of state prison inmates or uh, the county correctional administrator in the case of county jail admins.
1: In that situation, could the defendant be sentenced to a greater sentence than originally imposed? No. Okay. So under the old law, did it make a difference whether a defendant was sentenced to a determinate sentence, a, a sentence with a fixed amount of time, or an indeterminate sentence, a sentence where the amount of time is not fixed, like a sentence of 25 years to life? No. No. So now that we've talked about how Section 1170D worked before the new laws, why don't you explain what is different now? Okay, well,
0: the first change came by way of Assembly Bill 1812. That bill was described as making necessary statutory and technical changes to implement the Budget Act of 2018 relating to public safety. The bill made numerous changes, including adding the following language to Section 1170D. Specifically, what they added was, the court resentencing under this paragraph may reduce a defendant's term of imprisonment and modify the judgment, including a judgment entered after a plea agreement, if it's in the interest of justice. This was a big, big change, because courts had previously held that the resentencing provisions of Section 1170D could not be used to change the sentence of a defendant who was convicted by way of a negotiated plea.
1: That is a huge change, considering 95% of convictions resulted from negotiated pleas.
0: Exactly. The other big change to Section 1170 was enacted by AB 2942. Under that bill, which goes into effect January 1st of 2019, A recommendation for resentencing can be made not just by the Board of Prison Terms or the County Correctional Administrator, but the recommendation can now be made by the district attorney of the county where defendant was sentenced.
1: And that ability for a district attorney to recommend resentencing, does that also apply to any sentence, determinate or indeterminate, And can it be made at any time after sentencing?
0: Yes. The answer is yes uh, to both those questions.
1: Does a court hearing the request for resentencing have to grant the request?
0: No. A court can grant the request or deny the request or potentially resentence the defendant in a way different than recommended by the Department of Corrections or the DA. The resentencing court has very broad powers, equal to the powers they have when imposing the original sentence, except that it can't be a longer sentence than originally
1: imposed. Should the resentencing court be the same court that originally sentenced the defendant? Well,
0: in an appellate case, called People v. Jasso from 1994. The court observed that Penal Code Section 1170D didn't specify whether uh, recall and resentencing is reserved exclusively to the original sentencing judge or whether another judge with jurisdiction could make the determination under exceptional circumstances. Nevertheless, the JASO court construed Section 1170 as it existed back then in 1994 to provide that the original sentencing judge should be assigned a motion for recall and resentencing under Section 1170D, if the judge was available. However, if the judge was not available for any reason described in Penal Code Section 1053, then another judge of the court could substitute for the absent or otherwise unavailable sentencing judge. And 1053 just deals with uh, what happens if, like, a judge is unavailable uh, it, mid-trial, and another judge has to be. Nothing in the amendments to section 1170D suggests that this interpretation wouldn't continue to apply unless the sentence is the result of a plea bargain that implicitly assumed the judge taking the plea would be the judge imposing sentence. And even then, in other words, even if the sentence was the result of a plea bargain implicitly assuming the same judge would be taking the plea. The standard for determining whether the sentence can be heard by a different judge under 1170D might still be the same as in all other cases.
1: So when is a court unavailable under Penal Code Section 1053?
0: Well, it's basically Section 1053 says if a judge dies, becomes ill, or for any other reason is unable to proceed with the trial. So the resentencing request under Section 1170D can be heard by a different judge than the original sentencing judge if the judge, if the original sentencing judge is dead, ill, or is unable to hear the resentencing hearing.
1: Didn't the California Supreme Court address what it means for a judge to be unavailable recently?
0: Yes, but it's in a different context. You're probably thinking of People versus Rodriguez, which is a California Supreme Court case from 2016 that addressed the standard for determining when a judge is unavailable to rehear a motion is suppressed under Penal Code Section 15385 p Now, applying that standard in the context of Section 1170 D1 resentencing, if we apply that standard, mere inconvenience in having the original judge do the resentencing would not be sufficient to render a judge unavailable. But it's not clear whether that standard can be imported into the resentencing context or whether, if it is important, if if it was imported, it would be any different in application than the standard adopted for unavailability of a judge under uh, that case of JASO.
1: So, what is the scope of the resentencing court's authority under 1170 D1? Well, Section
0: 1170 D1 says a court may resentence the defendant in the same manner as if he or she had not previously been sentenced, provided the new sentence, if any, is no greater than the initial sentence. When a sentence is subject to recall under Section 1170 D, the entire sentence may be reconsidered. So, subject to the sentencing rules of the Judicial Council, which are designed to eliminate disparity of sentences and to promote uniformity in sentencing, the resentencing judge would have to redetermine whether to impose the aggravated midterm or low term, what enhancements to impose, whether to run the sentence consecutively or concurrently, and any 654 multiple punishment
1: questions. Okay, so let's say there are multiple offenses. Could a resentencing court impose an aggravated term where a midterm had previously been imposed so long as the length of the entire sentence does not exceed the initial sentence?
0: Yes. They should be able to do that based on existing case law governing resentencing a defendant after the original sentence.
1: Okay. Could a court resentence a defendant originally sentenced to state prison to probation?
0: Probably. Probably. If such a sentencing option is is otherwise available, earlier case law interpreting Section 1170 D would allow the court, among other things, to grant probation with or without conditions such as service of time in
1: county jail. Well, are there any limits on what can be done by the resentencing court?
0: Not not a lot. Uh, A resentencing court, I mean, does not have the authority to change a sentence in an otherwise unlawful manner or to tinker with a conviction for a reason that's not rationally related to lawful sentencing. So I suspect that a judge would not be able to resentence solely on the basis of animosity to a law that required the original sentence to be imposed. But even that may be subject to dispute. Uh, and I say that because you, you have a competing case law. In People v. Swanson, the, the case back in 1993, the court said a sentencing judge is required to base his or her decision on the statutory and rule criteria, an analysis of the legitimate aggravating and mitigating factors, and not and not on subjective feelings about whether the sentence that was arrived at seems too long, too short, or just right. They said in that case, the judge is not permitted to reason backward to justify a particular length of sentence, which the judge arbitrarily determines. But in a more recent case from 1999, in another appellate case called People v. Castaneda, The court said a judge's subjective determination of the value of the case and the appropriate aggregate sentence, uh, based on the judge's experiences with prior cases in the record and defendant's case, can't be ignored, and they indicated that a judge's subjective belief, belief regarding the length of the sentence to be imposed is not improper as long as it's channeled by guided discretion outlined in the various statutory sentencing criteria.
1: Are there factors that the resentencing court may take into consideration that the original sentencing court could not? Yes. Under the amended
0: version of Section 1170 D1, a court can consider post conviction factors, including, but not limited to, the inmate's disciplinary record, uh, their record of rehabilitation while they were incarcerated, evidence that reflects whether the prisoner's age, uh, time served, and diminished physical condition, if if any, uh, would have reduced the inmates' risk for future violence, and also evidence that reflects that, quote, circumstances have changed since the inmates' original sentence, such that the inmates' continued incarceration is no longer in the interest of justice.
1: What does it mean for circumstances to have changed so that the inmates' incarceration is no longer in the interest of justice?
0: Alex, you know, that's pretty... uh, (laughs) Good question. We don't really know. I mean, part of the problem here is due to the fact that uh, this, this law that added this language was part of an omnibus bill uh, making a mishmash of changes to criminal laws. And it was passed under the claim that it contained necessary statutory and technical changes to implement the Budget Act of 2018 related to public safety. So the bill itself has very limited statutory history and it appears to have sailed through the legislature without any identified support or opposition as if it wasn't actually making significant changes. And so, like a ship carrying smuggled goods, there are no documents explaining its contents.
1: All right, can a court resentence a defendant whose sentence resulted from a plea bargain?
0: On its face, section 1170 D1 now permits the resentencing court to reduce a defendant's term of imprisonment and modify the judgment, including a judgment entered after a plea agreement, if it's in the interest of justice. It is likely that this language was added because the legislature was aware of pre-existing law that limited the power of a judge resentencing a defendant under Section 1170D1 to alter the terms of a plea agreement that had been accepted by the parties in the trial court.
1: So, if a court alters the terms of a sentence imposed pursuant to a plea agreement, can the people request that the sentence be vacated and the parties return to their original position? Maybe. If, at the time
0: of the original sentencing, a court that had accepted uh, that it's accepted a plea bargain, which is to sentence the defendant in a manner that departs from a negotiated disposition, the court normally has to contain has to uh, obtain consent from both parties to the change, or allow the plea to be. Withdrawn. So it stands to reason then that if the resentencing court is stepping into the shoes of the original sentencing court, a change in the agreed upon sentence by the resentencing court should allow the prosecution to insist that the parties be returned to pre plea status and any counts dismissed as part of the plea be reinstated. However, any request for this remedy is going to have to distinguish the case of Harris versus Superior Court, which is a California Supreme Court case from 2016. Now, in Harris, a defendant who had been charged with robbery and had pled to grand theft uh, and admitted a prior conviction in exchange for uh, the DA dismissing the the robbery charge and other allegations of of felony convictions. That's what occurred in, in Harris. So after a sentence was imposed in Harris, Proposition 47 passed. And Proposition 47, if our listeners don't recall, uh, it did a lot of things. But one of the things it did was authorize defendants convicted of felony grand theft to petition the court to have their conviction reduced to a misdemeanor under certain circumstances. So the defendant in Harris petitioned the court to have his sentence recalled and to be resentenced as a misdemeanor. In response, the people said, well, wait a second. If you reduce the sentence, you're going to deprive us of the benefit of our plea bargain and thus uh, they should be permitted to rescind the plea and reinstate the original robbery charge. It goes up to the California Supreme Court and what they say is uh, the issue before them was really deciding which of two previous decisions of the California Supreme Court applied. Either People versus Collins, uh, California Supreme Court decision from 78, which allowed a party to rescind a plea agreement where a subsequent change in the law had deprived it of the benefit of its bargain, or to follow Doe versus Harris, which was a a much more recent California Supreme Court decision from 2013, which held that the general rule in California is that a plea plea agreement will be deemed to incorporate and contemplate not only the existing law, but the reserve power of the state to amend the law or enact additional laws for the public good and in uh, pursuit of public policy. The Harris Court ended up resolving the issues by looking at whether the change in the law was actually intended to impact plea bargains. And the court held there was language in uh, penal code section 1170.18, which is one of the statutes enacted by Prop 47 that said that it governed someone serving a sentence for a conviction, whether by trial or plea, uh, of one of the felonies that Prop 47 reduced to a misdemeanor. And they said that language essentially was enough to make it clear that the provision applies to someone like defendant who was convicted by plea. They also said that that their conclusion gained additional support from the principle that the legislature, for the public good and in furtherance of public policy, and subject to limitations imposed by the federal and state constitution, has the authority to modify or invalidate the terms of an agreement. They distinguished the case of Collins on the ground that, unlike in the case before it, in Collins, the change in law had eviscerated the judgment and the underlying plea bargain entirely, and it did so before the judgment. Well, in our case, AB 1812, it's clear it was intended to allow resentencing of cases that had been resolved by plea bargain, and they did so after the initial judgment. So it may be difficult to argue that the general rule of Harris doesn't apply equally to the question of whether a plea bargain can be breached with impunity by a judge resentencing a defendant under. Section 1170D1 as it's been amended. If you're going to have a chance at a successful challenge to the ability of the court to resentence a particular defendant under Section 1170D1, it may hinge on how severely the plea bargain sentence is altered. In other words, is it really being eviscerated? And/or on whether the law runs afoul of some constitutional provision. But a court could not likely refuse to resentence solely on the basis that a court lacks statutory authority to resentence a defendant who pled pursuant to a plea bargain. And we'll talk about uh, like a constitutional challenge a little bit later.
1: So can a resentencing court even consider the fact that the sentence was a result of a plea bargain in deciding whether it is in the interest of justice to grant the resentencing?
0: That is a different question. And the answer should be yeah. No definition no definition is provided of what it means to be in the interests of justice, but it's likely to be read as broadly as it's read uh, in the context of Penal Code Section 1385, which allows a court to dismiss a case in furtherance of justice. We know that the interests of justice requires consideration both of the constitutional rights of the defendant and the interests of society represented by the people. And plea bargains implicitly reflect a judicial determination that the plea bargain is in the interest of justice. Since if it's not in the interest of justice, the sentencing court, the original sentencing court, would have rejected the plea bargain in the first place. So it stands to reason a resentencing court may take into account that the original sentence was the result of a plea bargain when deciding whether imposing a sentence inconsistent with that plea bargain is just. it certainly seems unjust to deprive the prosecution and the victims of a bargain for a sentence when the defendant obtained a significant benefit, like a dismissal of other, maybe even more severe and more easily provable crimes, from plea bargaining. It's a classic case, uh, if you don't take this into account, of allowing defendant to have his cake and eat it too. It is just that the resentencing court could not automatically reject resentencing on this basis, in other words, the basis that it was... Conviction pursuant to a plea
1: bargain. I see. So, if the prosecution wants to avoid a defendant being resentenced in the future, can the prosecution successfully preclude a defendant from obtaining resentencing under 1170 D1 or any other newly enacted law by including in the plea agreement a term stating any future resentencing or change in the law voids the plea agreement and returns the party to the pre-plea status?
0: That is an interesting question. In Doe versus Harris, a case from 2013, the California Supreme Court recognized that while California law does not hold that the law in effect at the time of a plea agreement binds the parties for all time, it is not impossible, I'm quoting from this decision, it is not impossible the parties to a particular plea bargain might affirmatively agree or implicitly understand that the consequences of the plea will remain fixed despite amendments. the relevant law. So, prosecutors concerned that a sentence will be cut short in violation of a plea bargain should consider incorporating into a plea bargain a term that the sentence agreed upon remains binding, notwithstanding any future changes in the law or a resentencing request. Now, even if that term is included, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to ensure the length of a sentence is carried out regardless of the terms of the plea bargain. Since plea bargains can't bind third parties, such as the CDCR, and it's within the prison authorities' uh, administrative discretion to decide when a person initially sentenced to prison should be released. In other words, we're not going to be able to do anything about our early release policies of the state prison. Also, a plea bargain couldn't prevent the secretary or the, or bo- or the board of parole hearings or the county correctional administrator from recommending resentencing because those entities are also third parties to the plea agreement. But once the defendants return to the court for resentencing, the determination of what sentence is imposed is no longer a decision made by the CDCR. Thus, it's going to be easier to prevent resentencing by crafting a term that would void the plea and return the parties to the original pre-plea positions in the event resentencing occurs regardless of who requests the resentencing, and even if it's the DA that requests resentencing, although, of course, terms could be crafted to prevent resentencing unless requested by the DA.
1: Can a resentencing court dismiss or reduce a charge pursuant to penal code section 1385 and or pursuant to section 1170 D1 itself?
0: Uh, when this issue comes up, I think a court's going to rule that they do have that authority. Uh, in a case called People v. Nelms, which was an appellate court case from 2008, the court held that Section 1170D, as it existed at that time, didn't allow a resentencing court to dismiss a charge where a defendant had been convicted of the charge and been sentenced on it, even though both parties consented to it, consented to the dismissal. The Nelms court came to that conclusion because, they said, by its express terms, Section 1170D is limited to sentencing and says, here's the key language, and says nothing about modifying the judgment. And in People v. Espinosa, another appellate court case, this time from 2014, the court held Section 1170D did not allow a resentencing court to, again, modify a judgment by reducing the degree of crime and then impose a new sentence based on the modified judgment. But now, under the new version of section 1170 there is express authority given to the, to, to the sentencing court to reduce a defendant's term of imprisonment and modify the judgment, including a judgment entered after a plea agreement if it's in the interest of justice. And we know that any entitlement to post conviction relief in the form it takes is governed by statute. The legislature can choose to provide authority to resentencing courts to dismiss or reduce a charge. So it's likely that the new language of section 1170D1 has either provided its own statutory authority allowing dismissal uh, or reduction of a charge, or it's implicitly expended a court's section uh, 1385 power to dismiss or reduce an offense to the context of an 1170D1 resentencing hearing.
1: Can a sentence be recalled under section 1170D1 pursuant to a recommendation by the DA?
0: Yes, as we mentioned before, As of January 1st, 2019, the answer is yes. AB 2942 uh, now will allow the district attorney of the county in which the defendant was sentenced to recommend that the defendant be resentenced. Uh, and, And, as with recommendations by the Board of Prison Terms or the county administrator, there are no limitations on when this request can be made or on who is eligible.
1: And does that apply to plea bargain cases as well?
0: Yes. It's subject to all the same rules and requirements as recommendations by the secretary of the Department of Corrections and Rehab or the Board of Parole Hearings or the County Correctional Administrator.
1: So it potentially opens up a way to remedy an unjust conviction.
0: Yes, and if there was like some way to have a drum roll input at this point, I'd have the drum roll input at this point because this is a brand new tool for prosecutors to use in encouraging persons uh, in prison to cooperate as witnesses, and that's not the only thing. Well, how so? Well, you know, previously there was no mechanism for reducing or eliminating a state prison sentence of a person uh, for cooperating in the prosecution of a crime not committed in state prison. You know, I mean, a lot of times we'll talk to someone in state prison, and we need them as as a witness. We can't make the case without that person. A prisoner who knows he will have to serve the remainder of his sentence in an environment where he is at a real risk of being killed by the person he testified against or by persons affiliated with the person he testified against is a lot less likely to be willing to testify than a prisoner whose sentence can be significantly shortened or eliminated.
1: True, but prosecutors can't guarantee their recommendation will be followed by the sentencing court.
0: Well, that is correct. But historically, where you have both parties uh, encouraging a resentencing, and there's a reasonable basis for such resentencing, a court is very likely to endorse the recommendation of the parties. So while we can't guarantee the recommendation will be carried out, there's a very good chance it will. And, and sometimes even the chance of receiving such a benefit is enough to tilt the scales in favor of cooperation, notwithstanding uh, the potential risk.
1: Jeff, until now, prosecutors were not in any position to craft plea bargains that would depart from the determinate sentencing scheme or impact whether defendant would be released early from state prison after the sentence was imposed. Is that now going to change?
0: I think so. A door is opened to a whole new variety of plea negotiations for sentences that encourage rehabilitation, not just rehabilitation in name only, and safety for victims. For example, we could craft a plea that would bind the prosecution to seek and recommend resentencing to a lesser term or even no term if the defendant remains free of bad behavior and stay prison. Or like in a gang case, a defendant could be induced to refrain from retaliation against witnesses uh, or to ensure that his fellow uh, gang members don't retaliate. If we craft a sentence, for example, of like 25 years to life, with the understanding that the prosecutor would request resentencing after 20 years only if no harm has come to the testifying witnesses in that period. I mean, this is truly a wholly uncharted world. Uh, Section 1170 D1 appears to be the only statute in the country that permits resentencing at any time upon request of a prosecutor for reasons other than because the sentence is unlawful.
1: So are there any downsides to this new power?
0: Yes. Uh, You may have carefully crafted a plea bargain and dismissed several provable serious offenses after coming to an understanding with the victim that she would not have to worry about the defendant being released for decades. That promise to the victim can be broken by the very same office that made the promise if a newly elected DA subjectively uh, decides the sentence is too long and requests resentencing. I can foresee some conflict of interest arising, at least if the victim of the crime originally designated the DA's office as their representative in a post-sentencing hearing pursuant to Marcy's Law, and the victim doesn't want the defendant's sentence to be uh, changed Whereas the D.A. now
1: does. Will this new power add to the workload of prosecutors' offices, seeing as how defendants will undoubtedly be sending letters to prosecutors' offices asking for a recommendation?
0: Well, you know, there's no right to a recommendation. And I, uh, as, as I recall, if you go through the statutory history that was put in there, some language was changed so it made it clear there isn't a right to a recommendation. It's got to come at the request of the prosecution. So while defendants may be able to ask us for a recommendation, nothing stopping them from writing a letter, prosecutors' offices can control how much time and energy is spent in reviewing that request.
1: Do you think the possibility of a future resentencing might encourage inmates who would otherwise be willing to testify without consideration to hold off until a promise of recommendation is made?
0: Perhaps. You know, Under the previous law, prosecutors dealing with sentenced inmates uh, did not have to worry about negotiating for their testimony on this basis. So now they may be taking the position that they're not going to uh, even talk to us or agree to testify unless we make this some, some kind of promise like this. Also, while there's no need to contact counsel when the defendant is solely being contacted as a witness, one of these state prisoners solely being contacted as a witness, If all of a sudden we're forced to negotiate with a witness about the possibility of a recall and resentence in exchange for testimony, it's likely that we're going to need to get the inmate's attorney on the original sentence involved in order to avoid running afoul of new rule of professional conduct 4.2.
1: Do you think that even if a prisoner is willingly testifying without promises, the door will be open to defense insinuations that a cooperating prisoner is in fact testifying favorably for the prosecution in the hopes of later obtaining a recommendation for resentencing?
0: Yeah, it might be. I mean, even if an if an inmate has agreed to testify, regardless of any promises, it just provides the defense another means of attacking and undercutting the testimony of the inmate.
1: Okay. Well, do victims have any rights that can be enforced at resentencing hearings?
0: Under Morrissey's law, yeah, victims have certain rights at post-conviction release decisions, sentencings, and any proceeding in which the right of a victim is at issue. A resentencing hearing is going to fall under one or more of these uh, criteria. So a victim would have an enforceable right to notice, uh, to be present, and to be heard Upon request.
1: You said upon request. These rights cannot be enforced if no request is made?
0: That's right. And that is why it's so critical that prosecutors inform victims to fill out the online application for such notification. Uh, The website, it's a CDCR website, the website for the application is listed in the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide memo that accompanies this podcast.
1: Do they have a right to prevent the release? Probably not.
0: Uh, there are some rights, uh, both individually held and collectively held, that if exercised might make resentencing resulting in an early release more difficult. Uh, for example, I mean, victims have the right to have the safety of the victim, the victim's family, and the general public considered before any post-judgment release decision is made. But some of the individual or collective rights of the victims are less concrete and may be difficult to enforce. That being said, uh, one of the things we talk about in the accompanying uh, Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide Memo is an argument crafted by Santa Clara County Prosecutor David Boyd, uh, which argues that resentencing defendants in the manner authorized by Section 1170 would violate the individual right of victims to a prompt and final conclusion of the case, uh, and any related post-judgment proceedings. And several collective rights of victims, including the right to expect that punitive and deterrent effects of custodial sentences that are imposed by the courts will not be undercut or diminished by the granting of rights and privileges to prisoners that are not otherwise required by law. And also, you know, these collective rights, individual rights, well, the collective rights, there's a right to finality in criminal cases. So, the, the argument goes is that Marcy's Law is part of the state constitution, while the amendments to Section 1170 are statutory. And these amendments do not ensure prompt and final resolution of cases, but rather uh, do the opposite. They ensure further potential for uh, reduction and uncertainty as to when a recall recommendation may come. So the theory is that the statute conflicts with Marcy's Law and should not be put into effect. This is, I'm not going into great detail about David's argument, but to his credit, he's also included the arguments for why there is no conflict between Marcy's Law and Section 1170D-1.
1: Well, what's the thrust of the argument that Section 1170D-1 does not conflict with Marcy's Law?
0: Well, to begin with, the recall provisions of Section 1170D allowing the CDCR to recommend resentencing, they've been around in nearly the same form for decades. And no court has ever held that Marcy's law prevents the executive branch, the courts, or the legislature from embracing a policy of discretionary review of sentences after the imposition of judgment. Nor, for that matter, has Marcy's law ever been held to prevent the application of any new laws allowing for dismissal or alteration of a defendant's conviction or sentence. In fact, there's a case from 2015, Santos versus Brown, where the court held that Marcy's law did not place implied conditions on for example, the governor's commutation and pardon power, the idea is that the text of Marcy's law it reflects that it's an aspirational type of law and it's too vague to provide an enforceable uh, state constitutional right. Uh, for example, I mean Marcy's law has a provision which says the victim has the right to expect that persons convicted of committing criminal acts are sufficiently punished. Uh, to be treated with fairness and respect and to a prompt and final conclusion of the case. How can you determine when these rights have been violated? I mean, it's it's vague. It's very subjective. But in any event, whether Marcy's Law challenge will be made and whether it's going to be successful is something we're just going to have to uh, wait around to see what the courts decide.
1: So what type of evidence can be considered at the resentencing hearing?
0: Same type of evidence that could be considered at any sentencing hearing in general. However, unlike the original sentencing court, a court resentencing a defendant under Section 11D1 should also be able to consider evidence involving post-conviction conduct, something we've mentioned before, the inmates disciplinary record, record of rehab while incarcerated, and evidence that reflects on whether they basically, uh, through the the passage of time and diminished physical condition, uh, are no longer a great risk for future violence.
1: Can this be shown through hearsay? It's likely
0: hearsay is going to be admissible at a section 1170d resentencing hearing so long as it is reliable hearsay.
1: I see. So can a court resentence a defendant while the defendant's appeal is pending?
0: Yes. Uh, You know, normally once an appeal is filed, it divests the the trial court of jurisdiction. But uh, under 1170d, the trial court retains jurisdiction to recall a sentence in a criminal matter and to resentence the defendant, notwithstanding the pendency of any appeal.
1: Can a defendant or the district attorney appeal the denial of Section 1170D1 recommendation for resentencing?
0: Either are almost certainly going to be able to appeal denial of a recommendation for resentencing or, conversely, a granting of resentencing. And the standard's going to be an abuse of discretion, although complications may arise if a court denies a resentencing recommendation by the district attorney because when the DA is recommending it and the defendant's going along with it, there's not anybody really to take it uh, to take the opposing position, although presumably the AG would step in to respond to a claim of an abuse of discretion by the resentencing court.
1: Can the new provision allowing judges to resentence a defendant who was sentenced pursuant to a plea bargain be challenged on the ground that it violates a separation of powers clause of the California Constitution?
0: Maybe. Uh, we included in the memo accompanying this podcast the arguments pro and con. Essentially, the argument is that Under the California Constitution, you know, persons who are charged with the exercise of judicial power may not exercise the powers of the executive branch, that's prosecutors. The charging function is the sole province of the executive branch, and so is whether to engage in negotiations with the defense by which a more lenient disposition of the charges can be uh, obtained without trial. Although a plea bargain has to be approved by a court, a court does not have the authority to substitute itself as a representative of the people in the negotiation process. So in a case where the prosecution has determined to engage in negotiations and pursuant to those negotiations has chosen to dismiss a charge or charges on the understanding that the defendant's going to plead guilty to or remain in charge, the judicial authority is limited to either approving the plea bargain or rejecting it and returning the parties to their pre plea status. It does not have the authority to accept the plea bargain and then change the terms of the plea bargain, were it otherwise the court would, in effect, be substituting itself as a representative of the people in the negotiation process. And uh, the argument goes, a violation of the separation of powers would occur. I mean, a resentencing court shouldn't be able to interfere with the powers of the executive branch any more than the original sentencing court could. So if a court resentences a defendant pursuant to Section 1170 in a way that departs from the terms of the plea bargain, a violation of the separation of powers would occur unless, one, the people agree to the change, two, the resentencing court doesn't change the terms of the plea, or three, the plea is held withdrawn and the parties are restored to pre-plea status.
1: But as you pointed out earlier, in Harris v. Superior Court, the California Supreme Court held that resentencing of a defendant pursuant to Proposition 47, regardless of the fact that there were- Producing the sentence departed from the terms of the plea bargain was permissible because the legislature can modify or invalidate the terms of an agreement for public good.
0: That's very true. And that's an argument that the defense is going to make. But the Harris court recognized that modifications to or invalidation of an agreement is still subject to the limitation imposed by the federal and state constitutions. And no argument was made in Harris, which is the Prop 47 case, uh, that there would be a violation of the separation of powers provision.
1: True. It seems unlikely, though, that the California Supreme Court in Harris would have held that it is permissible to enact laws that modify or invalidate the terms of a plea agreement by giving judges the authority to resentence defendants under Prop 47 if it violated the separation of powers clause to grant judges this authority.
0: Well, that's going to be the defense argument. They'll also likely point out that, in general, the power to dispose of criminal charges belongs to the judiciary, and all that's occurring during resentencing is a disposition of criminal charges. Now, I don't know if the separation of powers argument is going to have any traction, but in the meantime, the prosecutors should probably assume that changes to Section 1170 are here to stay and begin thinking about how to craft plea bargains in light of the new powers granted to prosecutors to recommend recall and resentencing And also think about how to structure plea bargains to avoid resentencing in the appropriate
1: case. Agreed. Well, Alex, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Jeff.